You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello everyone and welcome back to Arsenal Pass for a very special episode of the pod, episode 82, where we're breaking down, uh, we're breaking away actually from our traditional format and looking at the World Championships in a preview show and we have a very special guest with us. Brian, want to say a big hello to you and, and thanks for coming on the pod. Oh, absolutely. You guys know you're my my day one flesh and blood brothers, the podcast I leaned on when I was first learning the game. So I'm always happy to come back and chat with y'all. And uh, I actually forgot, I was meant to introduce you as Brian, I'll ban your storm striders, Gottlieb, uh, Brendan, but sorry, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, if you get loud during this podcast, Brendan, I'm, I'm going right down your list of favorites, like each one, one at a time, all being banned. <laughs> you can't get any worse. You already hit my, <laughs> my baby boy, storm striders. Don't test me. Don't test. I'll find something. I'll find something to go after. He's been massacred. Well, Brian, I want to just start out by um, just introducing you to the Arsenal Pass viewers. Of course, you've been on the YouTube channel before a couple of times, actually, but I don't think you've been on on the podcast with us before. So uh, maybe just tell us, you know, people who don't know you, everyone at this point, I assume knows you. You're going to be the on the on the coverage this weekend at the World Championships. You've been on multiple events uh, so far, including PT1. Uh, but maybe just a little bit about yourself for, for those that, that haven't seen you before, or haven't heard from you before. Yeah, I do a lot of work on Flesh and Blood now. It has become a huge, huge part of my life. Not only do I do uh, broadcasting, but I also work on the design side of Flesh and Blood, helping you uh, get all those shiny new cards into your hands. And you're just seeing kind of the, the first of my work with the release of Dynasty. That was the first set I was ever a part of. Uh, I wasn't there from like the very beginning, of the development of the set, but it was certainly around till the end. And there's a lot of things that I have uh, a, a very big place in my heart for. I feel very, very attached to. And then uh, the next set after that is when you'll start seeing what I'm just like fully integrated into the team. And uh, I can't wait for you all to see that. I'm, I'm so excited. So excited. So what's, what's your role with Alexis now? Do you have a defined role? Are you more of a consultant? Like, what does that look like for you? And you're sort of, obviously, you know, you're, X thousand miles away uh, on the east coast of the U.S. Yep, I, I am uh, officially a contractor, so I not an LSS employee. I always like to make that clarification. So no, nothing I say should be taken as binding to LSS. I'm just kind of a guy talking, uh, but I do regular contracting work for them. So I, I am always in the mix these days. Um, I've been down to New Zealand to work on stuff, work remotely most of the time uh, with James and rest of the boys on the dev team and just like like i said my life is flesh and blood at this point just every single day designing cards watching the metagame so we can do a good job shaping formats for everyone to play thinking about the future of the game and i have dove in full force and i'm having a freaking blast like i'm so excited about everything we've been working on and everything this game continues to do so I want to ask you a little bit about that before we, we get into the kind of the, the preview show, the World Championship preview show. But firstly, I actually thought when you turned your camera on today that you would be wearing a Black Caps top. And because I've heard that you've become a big fan of cricket and uh, and you're not. So I just wanted to give you a moment to explain yourself on that one. I do not have a Black Caps top yet, but, you know, I'm going to be at Worlds if somebody wants to bring me a gift from New Zealand. I'm just saying it would be would be a pretty nice thing. Uh, I am a pretty big cricket fan, although I do run behind. So no spoilers right now. I think I'm like two days behind at this point. I watch everything on demand because it 
the cricket world cup that's going on right now it starts at about midnight my time and runs to like 6 a.m so i'm usually pretty well at least starting to fall asleep around that time uh and i try and just catch up on the vods but been a little busy the last few days so i'm lagging a bit but I do you know the black caps have started very very well so that did pretty well yeah yeah for those who are maybe in north america and aren't familiar with cricket it's like baseball but you turn the bat that way <laughs> And then there's a few other rules, but that, you know, don't worry about those. That's the, that's the main one. Um, that's a fascinating game. It's, it's so different than baseball. Yes. And like when you're learning it, it, it just seems stupid. I'm like, this game is stupid. What are they doing here? And then you like get in tune with the nuances of it. And I'm like, wait, this game rules. Like, I wish I grew up playing cricket. I wish I could find a place to play cricket right now. So it's quite strategic. Have you got to the point where you know the fielding rules, how many fielders you can have outside the circle and on side yeah, of the, yeah, the power uh, play? Okay. Sure. There yep. we go. Already across it all. Right, I want to ask you, you talked a little bit about Dynasty and uh, we're starting to see previous flood and previous season. By the time this pod drops, previous season is we're in full swing. Uh, World Championship is about to kick off. So cards we've seen so far, we've just at this point in real life, we've just seen the Assassin uh, Specialization card revealed. Uh, Is that something that you personally had a hand in? Uh, Yes, yes. I, I will talk more specifically about what I did, but I, I will say that the Assassin class has a huge place in my heart. It is it is one of the very first things I worked on walking through the door at LSS and especially like you've only seen one card from the assassin thus far as we're recording. Even that card has a huge place in my heart. I had a, a hand in shaping that. And like it's weird. No card should ever be claimed by anyone as like their creation because we have such a collaborative process and like ideas get bounced all along. But there are like pieces of cards that I I for whatever reason, I signed like, oh, I remember when I came up with that idea. And uh, Regicide is one that I feel like I had a very large hand in. And I'm so pleased with the way people reacted to it. Even people who hated it, I also love that reaction too. Like, it's it's just an absolute home run for what we wanted to accomplish with that card. Yeah. Does anybody want to raise their hand and take uh, and take the credit for Starvo? I'd like to know who that was. I That's that's before my time. I can't even <laughs> make a guess there. <laughs> Brendan, what's uh, what's your thoughts on Regicide? Obviously, you've seen the card. Our new, we we have Assassin now. Any kind of first thoughts? I don't think you and I haven't talked about it. Yeah. So my main questions really are like, is it an adult hero or is it a young hero? I do think that this will be an adult hero. Um, I think it's interesting for the context of like the design of the set being a supplementary set. If it's an adult hero, that's a lot of support that goes into that set, um, which could be really cool, right? Uh, I wonder when it comes to Assassin, if Assassin will have an, like the ability to sort of manipulate its opponent's graveyard and banish cards out of its opponent's graveyard in order to turn on sort of that third clause. Um, and then, yeah, I wonder how how relevant the you win the game and you lose the game clauses will be. I actually think that the third clause will probably be the, the most relevant, the one we'll see the most. But in terms of gameplay mechanics, yeah, I am wondering if not only is it able to interact with its, its own graveyard and banish cards, but interact with its opponent's graveyard and banish their cards, which I think would be really cool. Not something we've actually seen in Flesh and Blood uh, up until now. Yeah, I know Brian obviously can't say much at this point, but we will we'll be seeing the, the next few days. I think um, the the cool one to me is like I, me and Brendan, we did a bit of a, a Patreon pod the other day or last week at this point, talking about our thoughts on Dynasty so far and what we're excited about, what we wanted to see come o- across from Crucible and Everfest in this the supplemental format. And one of the the things we talked about was like the lore aspect, and this card is like if you're looking for lore in the set, uh, this reveal is dripping with it. So. <laughs> That was probably one of the things I was most excited about. And again, I'm not even I'm not even huge into lore, but uh, when it when it permeates like this and it, it feels so authentic, it's great. Now you know what I also wouldn't consider myself a huge lore person, but if if you don't have 
some kind of essence or storytelling you're trying to do within the cards themselves, they're just numbers. Like they, they have to be resonant. They have to point to an idea. Otherwise, they're never, ever going to be exciting, even for people who are not lore people. And I, I think we're one of the best things about being part of working on this set and future sets is that it just feels like we learn so, so much about how to make flesh and blood literally every day. Like James and I will message each other almost on a daily basis being like, I had this breakthrough today or I was sleeping and I dreamed about this thing and just a way to do something new, something special, something exciting. And it just feels like every single day we learn more and more about how to make this game awesome. And I, I think Regicide points at that. I, I think it's a really cool example of card-based storytelling. And I, I think people are going to be so pleased to see how that is becoming more and more a focus of what we're doing. Not that it wasn't before, but it's just, it's so, so important to making the game feel authentic and feel like the battle that it is supposed to portray. So uh, I really hope people enjoy that aspect of this set. Yeah. And again, we we have a, I would say, a pretty fantastic preview card coming up. Uh, actually, by the time this pod drops, you've already seen it, so I don't even need to plug it anymore. But uh, Brendan, I know you had fun uh, recording that video. And uh, so but you can talk about the card now, I guess, because everyone's seen it at this point, but uh, a very, very powerful card. I think we're going to see as a staple of mechanologist. Yeah, if we can talk about it, then yeah, Pulse Wave Harpoon, I think, is going to be a staple in in Mechanologist. It's it's honestly, it's kind of a terror, to be honest. I think every single time you play against a boost dash, or honestly, probably any dash, as soon as that third chain link hits, you're going to be thinking about that Pulse Wave Harpoon trigger. The fact that it's not a non-hit trigger makes it, in my opinion, probably one of the most powerful cards ever printed for Mechanologist. I think that if it was, if the text was a non-hit trigger, it would demand a sort of an equipment block or a double block every single time. But that is not the case. I think it's incredibly disruptive. It will stop uh, degenerate decks from doing you know certain things with five card hands, whether it's Blood Rush Bellows or it's just disruptive to things like Kano. Um, it's it's honestly it's pretty incredible, and yeah, like I said, one of the best cards I think that's ever been printed for Mechanologist. I noticed you mentioned was was it there? Oh, sorry, Brian, you go. What day, what day is this dropping? Just so I know, uh, like oh, exactly yeah. where we are in the preview schedule. This is this is dropping on uh, at your time Thursday afternoon. Okay. So I, I think by this point, we've seen several Mechanologist cards, and y'all are going to be very happy with them, <laughs> especially having listened to your pod about what you wanted out of these sets, what you want out of supplemental sets in general. I think Mechanologist is a real big home run in this set. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be happy. All right. Well, uh, Dynasty at this point, you've seen most of it. You've seen previous season. I'm sure we're going to see some more stuff at the World Championships this weekend and then, of course, releasing in, uh, at this point, eight, eight, nine days' time. So uh, let's dive into what this what this pod is all about, this show is all about. It is a World Championship preview. I do have two of the casting team members here with me today, uh, you know, two of the team. There's five of you, I believe, at this event, including Tan and Grace. Uh, Eric Longquist is going to be there, uh, DOA, if, you, if you're not familiar, uh, and uh, Matt DeMarco, Flake. So got two of the five in the trophy cabinet here today to talk about things and of course myself playing at the event wanted to dive into a lot of things meta uh the the format of the event uh, all things from you know predictions we're gonna make some predictions of course players to watch out for and uh you know what what you two in the booth are going to be looking at and and i guess any narratives that you think are going to be coming for this weekend so uh i'll, I'll throw it over to you guys do you want to say anything before we dive into this we're going to start and we're going to look at a little bit around what has happened this year and how we've gotten to this point 
I mean, super excited to be on the casting, the casting side of this time, uh, on this time uh, to be a part of that coverage team. It's a, it's definitely a gift. Um, I am quite a, a bit disappointed. I won't be able to cast with Brian. Unfortunately, I do think that we are filling the same role, so we'd be on separate teams. Um, but yeah, the classic constructed meta. Uh, well, honestly, the constructed meta. So both Blitz and, and class constructed is. It's um it's very dynamic. It's been switching week to week, as you've seen from the battle hardens. I think that it is relatively actually unsolved. I think that would be a good word for it. Uh, there has been the emergence of a quote unquote best deck, but a lot of people sort of doubt that. Uh, and we've seen hate decks start to pop up, like we did in Columbus with Azalea top eighting. So, in my opinion, it's one of the most interesting classic constructed and blitz formats that we've seen so far. And I think showing uh you know on the on the tournament day of Worlds. I don't know what's what's going to show up, right? I, th- I think I have an idea what the most popular deck will be, but after that, it's uh, it's it's up to quite a few quite a few other heroes to sort of I don't know vie for that third, fourth, and fifth most played deck spot. Yeah. Brian, yourself, how yeah. how excited are I, you? I couldn't be more happy with the state of the metagame. I think it's in such a good place, especially considering how long we've been playing this format. And look, we're aware we've been in this world of. Uprising and Uprising Limited and the CC format for a long time now. Uh, James just did an article over on Star City, an interview, and he did mention that obviously Dynasty intended to come out before World Championships, unfortunately, with everything going on with supply chains. It just doesn't work out. So, you know, that's disappointing. But as far as like if we had to get stuck with a specific metagame for a very, very long time, this is the one. Like it's done such a good job staying interested as a constructed format. And when it comes to Blitz, I think all bets are off. I think that format has changed very, very dramatically. Again, you can make a case for some best decks for sure, but there's still a lot of stuff to be unpacked. And I think it's hard to make a case for a best deck when people haven't really turned their full attention to the format, which they will be doing now. So I I think Blitz is completely up in the air when we head to San Jose. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think we're going to unpack a little bit as we go. I want to start with uh, the the buildup, how we got to this point. Um, so 2022 kicked off in Flesh and Blood OP space with a ProQuest season from Feb to March, which uh, I think all of us played in, actually. So hundreds of players qualify for the inaugural Flesh and Blood Pro Tour in New Jersey. The calling in Indianapolis happened in March and was the next marquee event, eventually taken down by Michael Hamilton uh, to make it a back-to-back calling wins after his triumph in Orlando just five months prior. Calling Krakow took place next in April with Yuan G. Lee taking down the Blitz event and really starting to show, I mean, maybe these, uh, these Americans are, are pretty good at the game. But the Europeans had something to say about it. And uh, shortly after Taiwan, the calling series happened there. Bravo started the show in Shenzhen Lao, taking the trophy. And then the first Pro Tour upon us won by, of course, a European, Pablo Pintor. And uh, May ushered in ProQuest Season 2, which led to Lille. Uh, but not before the Road to National Series kicked off. And then the calling Utrecht in July won by Sandinif. And then off to Singapore and then Pro Tour Lille, which were won by Jason Zhang and Matt Folks, respectively. A second European Pro Tour win right there. And then we saw a quick turnaround into the national season before we get to where we are now. 2022 World Championship season. Uh, 2022, 2022 World Championship. Um, of course, we had Battle Hardens, PTI events, skirmishes, thousands of armories in that time as well. So that's where we are now. I want to ask you both and start with you, Brian. What has your thoughts been on this crazy year of organized play and the first full year of competitive flesh and blood organized play? And what have your highlights been? The first thing that stood out to me when you mentioned, you know, Michael Hamilton's win at Calling Indianapolis, that was the first event I covered to hear it was only seven months ago. Like, it feels like I've been doing this for years now. Uh, So that was sort of jaw dropping. But to me, 
I mean, sure, I'm biased, but it feels like a resounding success. It feels like it's living up to exactly the type of experience Flesh and Blood wanted to provide to its players. Obviously, the COVID struggles all along the way. And obviously, even after COVID started tampered down a little bit, there's still been some bumps, things like Dynasty not making it out in time for the World Championships. But all of that is starting to get untangled, unfurled. And it feels like Flesh and Blood is now delivering on the OP system it really wanted to deliver on from the beginning. And my, my only complaint is that I can't participate in it. Uh, like sometimes it just really frustrates me. Like this is what I've been waiting for in my card game for such a long time. And I am not allowed to play anymore. So uh, great for everyone else. I guess also great for me, but still a little bit disappointing sometimes. It's just sweet. You might say in yeah. some ways, <laughs> Brendan, what about yourself? You know, I had a, to be honest, it was a lot packed in this year. You know, I even tried to condense that down as, you know, that sort of synopsis as much as I could. And uh, even then, we're still a mouthful. But Brendan, what is your thoughts on this first year? Obviously, you've played in basically every event that is possible. I think the only events you've missed are a few battle hardens and, and a national championship. Yeah, honestly, all I can say uh, hearing that is in retrospect, like what a journey, what a year. Uh, I think you and I have seen each other in person three times, living literally in the opposite opposite sides of the worlds of each other, uh, traveled the world at that, right? We've been in Europe, we've been in the US. Uh, it's just been a crazy journey. I think for competitive play, like for me, Flesh and Blood was my first, my like honestly, my first card game. So to have gone and played the Calling Circuit, the Battle Hardened Circuit, played both Pro Tours and now heading to Worlds and sort of switching up the role to be on the, the coverage team, I echo Brian's sentiment where it does feel like I've been doing it for a lifetime at this point. It's funny to think it's kind of just been a year. Um, but I do agree that it was our resounding success. Like I think that flesh and blood in the eye of sort of the layman or the eye, the outside, right? It, it is a legitimate contender for like the best competitive card game out there, right? And it's supported by an incredible uh, organized play program. Um, and I think that some of the idyllic statements of magic the gathering from back in the day you know such as <laughs> play magic see the world or whatever it was like that's coming true in flesh and blood that's that's a real thing you can do and we see players doing that i've done it you know and i think that this is sort of the beginning of a, just an incredible journey uh, and i'm incredible i'm very grateful to have been a part of it and arsenal pass also kind of <laughs> you know came out of its infancy in that time as well arsenal pass was very young in 2021 and sort of we came into our own in 2022 so what a ride yeah, I, I was going to ask you both, you know, has it lived up to <laughs> the billing? But um, obviously you both think it has, and, and I completely agree. I think it's it's crazy. You said seven, you know, what, nine months, seven months ago was Indianapolis, 10 months since the start of the year, and 12 months ago we were still, you know, there were nationals being played, and uh, Orlando hadn't happened yet, the U.S. nationals. You know, a year ago we didn't have a U.S. national champion yet, uh, and now we've 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 had two, you know, <laughs> and um, it's a, it's been a, a, a crazy ride, I think. What does the World Championship as this culmination of this first year of full organized play mean to to each of you? You know, Brian, I know you've played in Pro Tours and other games before. You've I, I think you've you've played in this this level of event before. What 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 does it mean to you? And then what does it mean to you now being on, on the other side of it? Yeah, I I think there is something that you just can't replace when it comes to things like national championships and world championships, and that is the way they reach into spaces outside of your game. Like you can tell someone you're a pro tour champion and you know, it sounds impressive and you can give a little bit of the backstory and like really make it sound like a big deal, which it is 100%. But you don't have to do that when you say you're the world champion of something. You're just like, I am the world champion of flesh and blood that resonates. Well, how many people play flesh and blood? And then you list up however many thousands of people we have playing. And 
I think we're going to have 30 some countries represented at Worlds. It's just this huge global game and you are the world freaking champion. There's no disputing that. And I, I think those are the events that always stood out to me. And, you know, you mentioned like living up to some of the ideas of like the original Magic Pro Tour. And I, th- I think that's so fundamental to the DNA of Flesh and Blood because almost everyone who is involved in making the game and organizing these events has some tie to that way of life. Like we all did it and we all know what a special experience it was. And, you know, things like you two coming together, that, that can't happen in the absence of games like this. You're just too geographically separated. There's nothing that would have put you on each other's path, but now you have this friendship, this business you run together. And it's kind of a really awesome, beautiful thing. And it's just so key to flesh and blood and the world championships is an awesome celebration of that because we do have these people from all over the world coming in representing their country there's some of that you know national pride on the line which in small doses i find to be a very very compelling thing and in large doses it can get problematic but certainly for an event like the flesh and blood world championships i think it's on display in its best fashion uh and it just makes the event feel so special what about from your side, Brendan? Obviously, you know you've you've chosen not to to play in this event, even though you you would have qualified. Uh, instead, going to the the casting side, maybe you can talk about a little bit. I don't think we've ever asked you kind of that that decision of of wanting to do that, other than you know we know that you want to move to the to the coverage side of things. But mm. what does the world championship at the end of this full year of of a you know crazy OP calendar mean to you? Yeah, so I guess I'll quickly touch on the coverage thing because I do get asked it a lot in person, actually. Um, so for me, what I truly love about flesh and blood is the, the experience, um, and is the community is the people. Uh, and I think that, uh, the, the opportunity to sort of be on the coverage team is more conducive to like a long-term relationship with the game and being able to do that potentially for the rest of my life. Um, not because you can't play flesh and blood competitively and maybe tone back the hours a bit and have a reasonable schedule, which I don't have right now, but because just the way, um, I choose to invest my time or invest my interest in things, I'm just very much all or nothing, right? I'm either, I'm trying to be the best, I'm trying to be the world champion, or I'm kind of more casual, right? Or I'm fulfilling a different role, which is what I'm transferring into now. And I think that as I, you know, Hayden, it's kind of interesting for both you and I, because we are in this weird part of our our life, not to get too deep with it, but, you know, in your late 20s, almost early 30s, is kind of a critical point where you sort of settle down and figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life, or you maybe you don't right and you keep bouncing between thing to thing no, and I i'm, I'm <laughs> gonna spoil it for you <laughs> I, I turned 40 yesterday and i still have no idea what i'm doing in my life so don't expect that to get happy sorted birthday out. to brian you have to tell it. Yeah. <laughs> there goes there goes my hopes and dreams with that one. But you know, I think that it's it's much more sustainable for me to 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 do that and it's not going to be my role forever, right? And I still will uh, compete, but I think that the opportunity to world the world championship specifically is something I absolutely couldn't pass up. You know, when I played the calling in, t- in 2019 in Austin, um, I met both James and Sasha Markovic there. And what I told them is that my goal in this game was actually to do coverage, was to do casting. Um, I was invited to do that in Vegas at the first calling, and I did I did turn it down because. I don't know. I had a bit of an ego. I was running a lot of road to nationals. I was like, I'm going to win this calling. <laughs> but, uh, so circling back to sort of what was my original goal in this game. And um, yeah, it feels really good. I'm going to take a different angle when talking about the world championship, because I do echo everything Brian said, but I want to say that the world championships for me and why I think it's so interesting right now is I think it's, it's the answer. We've had the, the narratives and the players that are going to play this tournament. 
they're incredible, right? We have Tarek Patel, double national champion, Michael Hamilton, PTI at every single event he's ever played, also started in Tales of Aria and just incredible player. Pablo Pintor wins the first Pro Tour, top eight's the next one. Uh, Matthew Fox, uh, you know, Matt Rogers, like all these players, all these questions. And I think that the World Championship is the perfect stage to sort of answer, answer it for once and for all. It's like, who is the best player in flesh and blood? Currently. <laughs> Currently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll speak quickly from like a, a player's side of things. Obviously, being the, the one of us, the three that is going to be playing the event. I, it's a you know, having played the first two pro tours, this one feels like you head into the world championships, and it is. You talked about national pride, Brian, a little bit, and there is a little bit of that of like you know, your your even if it's not country based, it's like region based. It's like you know, I'm I'm here for for my region, and I want to show that you know I can compete against the best. We've had, I remember seeing faces at PT one, faces at PT two. A lot of the same faces, but also a lot of different faces. And I think we come to World Championships, we're going to see faces we didn't see at PT2 that we, we saw at PT1 and, and vice versa. And I just know that the World Championships, I'm going to be playing against the best of the best. You know, this event was harder to qualify. It requires PTI. You you can't re- get qualified for this through a pro quest season like you could for PT1 and PT2. Not to say that's ever easy. That's difficult in of itself. But you just know that that's like PT1, PT2, that was a step up. And this feels like an even you know, an even bigger step up in terms of what we're going to see competition-wise and, and the preparation and effort that people have put into this with three events, which are uh, three formats, which uh, which we will talk about. Um, why don't we talk about formats and kind of what we're heading into with this event? I want to give a bit of a, I guess, preamble to what World Championships is in case you, you don't know what this is going to look like and you are tuning into the pod. So this is a 16-round event. Uh, it's over three days. The first day is uh, a draft of Uprising. And we're going to play three rounds of Uprising draft. And then we're going to five rounds of Class Constructed. At the end of day one, that's eight rounds, uh, there will be no cut to day two. Everyone can play in day two if they like. There's going to be another draft in the morning, three more rounds of Uprising draft, and then five rounds of Blitz Constructed. At the end of day two, there will be a cut. So at the end of the 16 rounds, there will be a cut to the top eight, which we played out on Sunday. And uh, they'll be fighting it out for that $100,000 first prize, plus everything else that's in there. Uh, a big, big prize pool for this World Championship event. Firstly, I want to ask you both on the on the coverage team. I know if you uh, if you want to see this, you can tune into. I believe it's going to be Channel Fireball on Twitch is going to be doing the the coverage. You're both going to be there. What can we expect from the coverage heading into this uh, this World Championship weekend? Take this as broadly or as as uh, specifically as you want to. Like, what what can we expect from the three days of coverage? Yeah, I think you're looking at now not only people but organizations who have a lot of experience putting on these events. We've, we've done this a few times now, sort of some of the things we had to iron out, the things we had to understand, uh, the things that come along with covering any new game. I think we're really drilling down on them. And I think we're getting good at presenting a really, really compelling broadcast, uh, not only in terms of just like the quality of play, but the pace of the broadcast where we're just, there's just always flesh and blood action going uh, you know, we, we understand the formats really well. We know how to present things like I, I will not front for one second. When I stepped in to the booth in Indianapolis, there were heroes that could have shown up that would have just buried me. I would have had no chance of covering them successfully, you know, two months into the game at basically at that point, not really knowing how every single hero works. So if like a Levi was in the booth, I, I was in trouble. That was not going to work for me. And now all of us are so experienced. We're so ingrained in this game, have such a huge affection for it and a huge amount of knowledge for it. I just think the coverage has really leveled up in a very special way. Um, and and not only is the presentation of it, just like 
the players have done such a good job embracing it. Like small things, like understanding how we do things in the future match area and representing your attack sizing really well and always keeping track of your resources. All those things have become part of the DNA of Flesh and Blood. And it's just making a really compelling broadcast product, which is tough with TCGs. It's been tough with every TCG ever. It's hard to make a compelling thing out of this very uh, finicky, like, large knowledge requirement game that you really have to be ingrained in to love, but we're getting good at it. And I, I just really hope we put on a broadcast that is exciting, not only for people who have this fondness and this deep connection to flesh and blood, but people who are just starting to find that fondness too. Cause I think we have a lot of those people and they're kind of like in this holding trough right now where they're like poking their heads over and they're seeing what's going on with flesh and blood and now they're starting to file in, and I want them to just bust down the floodgates, come watch World Championships, and have a great time. That's what uh, that's what the coverage has an opportunity to do this time. I think is to, like you say, really capture even an even wider audience. And it's um, it's interesting you talked about kind of how hard it is to make a production that is you know gets across the game. And I think the the format, the layout that's been tweaked and tuned over the events has has done that in a in a in a really great way. Because at the end of the day, like it is a pretty personal thing, a game between two players. So to look in on that and be able to to broadcast that and make that into production is obviously not easy. What, is there anything, Brian, that we're going to we can you know viewers can expect to see that maybe they didn't see at PT one, PT two, or at some of the callings that you know is going to be at the World Championships in terms of coverage? I mean, certainly the triple format thing is is a huge wrench to throw in in this banner. Like we usually just go very tunneled into a specific mode of play. Uh, you say, you know, there may be draft, but ultimately the story of like U.S. Nationals was one of Classic Constructed. I don't think any one format actually defines the narrative of this tournament. I think it really is just about being great at every form of flesh and blood, about figuring out this new Blitz format, about having shown mastery of Uprising Draft, a format which has been drafted so, so much at this point. People have such deep knowledge where it's almost like, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm drafting Uprising, I just feel like I I know what's coming in the next pack. Like I know exactly what's going to be there. I know exactly how this draft is going to play out, not only for me, but like several seats over. So when there's eight people who understand the draft format to that level, things can get really crazy. And I think even Uprising having been drafted as much as it has continues to evolve, continues to impress. And I think you're going to see the culmination of this format. You're going to see exactly the end state and sort of the vision where if you remember Uprising when it came out the gate, narrative was just like, oh, Phi is better than everything else. Force Phi, you're fine. I think that Dromai and Icelander were much, much harder heroes to understand, but the player base is there now. And any hero can win an Uprising draft. And certainly there should be more Phi's at a table than the other heroes, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. And still you see the Dromai, you see the Icelander able to take down the draft because they just understand what's important now. And that has continued to evolve. And I, th- I think we're going to see the final form of that, this uh, this World Championships. Brendan, perennial Fire Forcer. Uh, what are your thoughts on, I guess, coverage and obviously moving over to that side of it? What are, what are you looking to bring to the coverage scene this time around? I've actually never forced Fire in a competitive oh. draft as oh, much as I've tried and tried and tried and tried. I just like, I always audible. I, I, it's probably why I lose so much. But if you force, looking- you try. It happens. That's, there's no force and try. <laughs> yeah, so... 
I think that the the story and the narratives um, in Flesh and Blood are stronger than they ever have been, whether it's players, regions, or teams. Like, there's a lot for us to sort of talk about uh, and bring to the bring to the the broadcast as casters, right? Um, and I think that 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 makes it just, it just makes watching Flesh and Blood so much more enjoyable when you can empathize with not only the deck and the hero that you're seeing in front of you, but also the players, right? You follow their story, you've listened to them on Twitter, um, you've watched them win and lose matches, you've seen their highs and their lows, like. I think that Flesh and Blood is, is at the most exciting point that it's ever been. And then on top of that, we have this sort of very, very good classic constructed meta. And well, classic constructed and blitz, sorry, I should say constructed meta in general. For me and what I what I'm excited to bring to the broadcast is I think that I have a very uh very solid knowledge of this current format, uh, both in Blitz and Constructed. I did participate in sort of a team testing, which I recently hopped out of about, you know, five days ago. And yeah, I mean, helped the professional teams sort of prepare for this event was on sort of the cutting edge of that, that deck building and played multiple battle horns in that time as well. I think I just have a really good knowledge of the current format and hopefully I can sort of distill that and bring that to the coverage so people can understand some of the deeper things that go on during a game of flesh and blood. I've um, actually heard there's been requests for you to be forced to cast whatever Bolton games are on stream. <laughs> uh, he draws Lumina and there's the Lumi- oh, Lumina. Lumina. <laughs> We'll see what it's very exciting, Bolton. I think from a um, from a player standpoint, you, Brian just talked before about the this three formats and having to master all three formats. You look at it and you look at the expected player uh, accounts. There's over 300 players invited. It looks like if you're kind of being realistic about what, how many players we're going to see actually there, somewhere around the 250, 280 mark is probably a good guess. I, I don't know. This, we're just looking at the other day. Um, you know, to, to actually top eight and to go on and, and be live to win this event, you can't do poorly in any one format, really. You you can you can do you know maybe you can be below your expectations and you drop a couple of rounds in those formats, uh, but you can't basically have a, a negative record in any format, really, unless you win all the other rounds. And you can only maybe if it's you know blitz constructed, you go two three for instance, but you've won all your other rounds. Like it's going to be really tight to be able to to make it a top eight. So it is really, I think, it is an understanding of all three formats, and you have to do at least somewhat well to very well in all three formats to. Uh, to place well at this event so i think that's really interesting i think from a, a player standpoint i think a lot of players are going to reflect this people would have been spending time across all three formats i think people probably would have spent the least amount of time on draft you talked about it brian it's one that we've seen the most it's one that people have some some real levels of mastery but i think ones who have spent time to maybe go back think back on some of the the learnings and what happened at pt2 might actually reap the most rewards in that in those two draft formats uh going back and revisiting because there is a meta in draft right it's not just clean cut that stays the same people shift ideas change forcing fire to how strong Icelander is to dry my being underdrafted maybe that's not the case at, at this world championship so so it can change um Brendan I want to ask you about the the three formats yourself what what are your kind of thoughts on this world championships being a three formats I know we talked about it when it was first announced and I think at the time you were thinking you know is this is this great for the game having a blitz involved what's your kind of standpoint now with draft class constructed blitz being involved this weekend so there's two opinions. There's like one that uh, is sort of like my idyllic idea of like how I how I would like it to go, and I think that the sort of the three format and this idea of the well-rounded flesh and blood player to become the world championship, I think it's a great idea. Uh, personally, with my experience in playing dual format events, uh, uh, specifically Pro Tour number two, I didn't like it as much as 
pure constructed events, I felt like I wasn't able to sort of drill down as much into my deck. Uh, and I think it was mostly because of Uprising Draft, I felt like I lost some agency, which was probably more due to my lack of preparation than actually any sort of uh, you know competitive integrity that you might assign to that format. Um, so yeah, I think that from a viewer's perspective, the three format is exciting, right? Like you, the idea is that the best player in the room is actually going to win the tournament, right? Not somebody who just kind of found the busted classic constructed deck because you can bring the best CC deck to the tournament and you can still drop the blitz rounds. Like you said, any player who's going to the world championships and has thought about neglecting one of these formats has just simply not done the math. You're going to be on a razor's edge and you need to be prepared for absolutely everything. You need to be, I mean, your preparation should look like you're, you're ready to win all of the blitz rounds, all of the draft rounds, and all of the class constructed rounds. <laughs> That's probably just the mindset you need to have to be a champion in the first place. But yeah, absolutely cannot just be like, oh, I'm just not going to draft this time. Um, but yeah, I think that I think it's going to be a really exciting event, and like I've said many times, the constructed formats are in the best place. <laughs> Honestly, the best place I've seen them since uh, Welcome to Wraith and Crucible of War, and I'm probably looking back on those formats with a lot of nostalgia as well. Um, but I think that you are solve the the puzzle that you have to solve in those constructed formats um, is. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot that's going into it, right? It's uh, we have we have aggressive decks, we have mid range decks, we have control decks, we have combo decks, um, and we really don't know what the most popular deck in the room will be. When in pretty much every other major tournament uh, since Monarch, it's been and probably since the dawn of Flesh and Blood, it's very clear what the most played deck would have been. Right? You've got Briar, you have Chain, you have yeah, mostly a lot of these room legs and aggressive decks. But right now, Ultim could be the most played deck. Fi could be the most played deck, um, and maybe some others as well. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Why don't we dive straight in and talk about the meta game? Because we've actually got a bit of a, a snapshot this weekend with the final classic constructed event that happens before we get to the World Championships in the Battle Hardened uh, Denver, which is happening right now. I think they're about to cut to top eight as we're kind of recording this. So when the pod drops, obviously. You know all the results, but we do have some data to that we can kind of talk about. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Classic Constructed. We'll talk through Blitz. We'll talk through Draft in the metagame there and, and what we kind of see and what we think is going to happen and, and what we think of the top decks as well. But Classic Constructed, uh, I guess right now, if we look at Battleheart and Denver, how it's how it's uh, it's shaken out is that Ultim was the most played deck, followed by Icelander, uh, Fi, Dromai, and Dash. So, you know, a, a really quite uh, diverse meta game there in terms of those top five decks. And Ultim is by far and away the most played deck. And, and then there's sort of a, a bit of a chunk there, Icelander, and then Fi, uh, Ulta, sorry, Fi, Dromai, and uh, Dash are a bit, a bit closer. So I want to start with the, the big question, Brendan. Is there a best deck in Class Constructed heading into World Championships? Those results from the Battle Heart in Denver are wild. <laughs> the fact that Ultim is the most played deck is very unexpected, to be honest. Like, Fi, you would have expected Fi to be the most played deck, especially after it won uh, the Battle Heart in Columbus. And the thing is, is like, it won the Battle Heart in Columbus, and I thought that too many people would have like taken that as a reason to play Fi. And I don't think that Fi was like, you had enough data to sort of go off to justify Fi as being the best deck because it really didn't convert well into top eight, but it ended up winning the tournament. So I expected a lot of Fi at Denver. And I, I really was playing to be on this podcast telling people, you can't just take this one single person winning the tournament as like the clearest, but no, they're on old him. That's crazy. And people are hopping on Jermai as well, which I know made the finals, but it has a pretty bad Fi matchup, which is crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, hearing honestly, hearing that from you, I have no idea what to expect in 
uh, at San Jose anymore because I think that there is a clear best deck, to be honest, and I think it's Fi, right? Because Fi has a good old him matchup, a good Icelander matchup, and a good matchup against pretty much everything because it's a linear aggressive deck. It has bad matchups into, like, <clears throat> Azalea, which is a real thing to have a conversation about, by the way, now. Uh, Dorinthia, and then probably some other sort of niche decks, like maybe like some Bravos, but that's really debatable. I think that like Fi just has really solid matchups into pretty much everything. It it executes his game plan almost almost every single time. Um, and yeah, I mean, Oldham has a pretty bad Icelander matchup. It's a tight matchup into Fi. It's pretty rough into Dromai. So like, it, it's crazy. I have no idea what's going to show up on the day in San Jose and be the most played class constructed deck. Yeah, I, th- I think people are starting to adapt, basically. You know, the, the format to me feels like it's so close. There's so many edges to be gained with different card choices, with different plans and how you want to play. And people are learning to play into different matchups in different ways. Their testing groups are playing different matchups into to each other in different ways. And then when you come to the event, something like a battle harden, and all of a sudden the data doesn't match what, what, what you see or what you're finding, right? I think a lot of teams are going to find that, whether that's just the most played decks in general. Like like you say, I would have thought probably this weekend five would have been just the most played deck, followed by Icelander and Ultim. Actually, flip the other way. You know, it's Ultim Icelander then Fi. Um, so that that's really interesting to me. But I, I think that is a big part of it, is that people come up with this is Plan X into the matchup, and then all of a sudden someone goes, well, actually, I think this plan's better. They test it, they find a different result, and then they go to an event, and that's what it, what's what happens. Uh, Brian, I want to ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on like the meta we're seeing right now, and what do you think is going to be? I mean, I can. Do you think there's a best deck in the format? I do. I do think there's a best deck in the format. But there's a problem with that statement is that I I think even if that is true, there are so many ways to adapt for what that best deck is. And there's so many, there's this whole tier of heroes right now, which has, I want to call them like the speculative heroes, where there's always talk like, oh, if this hero does this, it could be really meaningful. But the thing is right now, the players have gotten so so much better so much better the number of reps that are being put into flesh and blood at this point is just astronomical compared to where it was even a few months ago and with that comes game planning and flesh and blood is a game about game planning it really and and i've railed against this for a long time like things like saying oh well dash into azalea is 70 percent favored for dash what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything to me. Like, if you want to tell me this specific dash deck into this specific Azalea deck is 70%, okay, maybe I'll start listening to you then. But even then, I guarantee you don't have the sample size to make that kind of statement authoritatively. And the problem is, what dash are you talking about? Are you talking about Jacob Baugh's control dash that, you know, aims to just grind opponents into dust? Are you talking about boost dash? Are you talking about Azalea that's built around red in the ledger? Is it a different type of Azalea, like a redliner Azalea? There's so many questions and variables, and they matter so much. Little things in flesh and blood matter so much because you see so much of your deck and you can shape your game plan towards a specific thing. You know, even Brennan, you mentioning Dromai being really poor in Defy. I agree with you ostensibly, but Hayden, I know you just cast a match with one of the best oh. players in the world against my good buddy DM Armada, who was playing Dromai, taking on Tarek Patel, playing Fi. DM Armada won that match and did so in a very, very thoughtful, compelling way. And when I talk about these speculative heroes, heroes like Dromai stand out to me. I don't think anyone knows what the best Dromai deck looks like. And there's two more heroes that I'm just like, they're speculative for sure, but there's something going on. The first one is Dorinthia. And like, I know that's a wild statement to make, 
But that fridge going into Phi, the fact that Phi is so incentivized not to block, I think Dorinthia is actually really good. I know players who feel like they have their olden match figured out. So if that's what you're doing, you're in like a really, really strong spot as Dorinthia and Dorinthia into Dromai. Again, you know, it all depends on construction, but I have played the Dromai side of that and it was <laughs> one of the most just complete beatings I've ever gotten on the Dromai side. You can you can win, but you have to be like very aggressive, snowball things very early, never let the Dorinthia play get started. So like, that's a really nice set of matchups. And then, man, I even think like heroes like Levi are actually completely viable right now. Like that is a very real hero that does some things that no other heroes in flesh and blood can do. I, if you listen to like, Ethan Van Sant talk about his Leviah plans. They're real. They're thought out. He knows how to beat certain matchups that maybe nobody else in the world knows how to beat. But if you put in that time, you could figure it out too. So even if I feel there is a deck that is just like, and it's a small edge, a small tiny edge above the field, I don't think it matters at all. I think it's completely up to what players bring to this event and the entire metagame could be turned on its ear mm-hmm. right out the gate. I love you talking about game planning because it's something that me and Brennan, I think we we talk about quite a bit as well. And the importance is growing and growing. You know, Prism, I think actually what has accelerated this is Prism hitting Living Legend has forced people to look at their game plans and look at a more diverse meta and understand it isn't just, you know, a linear plan all the time. Like, yes, you might have a linear plan. You may be a linear deck, but you have to have plans to play into your mirror match. You have to have plans to play into uh, matches that are also going to present a linear plan at you. And um, I think that is something we're gonna see this coming weekend not actually just in, in class constructed but also probably in um in blitz any i want to talk about you just talked about two two decks there that are kind of speculative you call them any breakout or fringe decks brendan you want to have a little talk about azalea do you think we're going to see some azalea this weekend is it a meta pick that is is viable yeah it's a meta pick definitely right it doesn't have a, a peachy old him matchup to say the least but i mean it is very good against Fi and briar because the thing is is there's a small aspect a lot of players overplay this idea that people don't know how to play against it and you're going to surprise them yeah maybe right but in the world championships less so um nevertheless like red ledger is is a serious card that absolutely turns off briar turns and five turns and it's devastating they have remorseless as well which is irrelevant on hit trigger like this deck like the the player that top aided in columbus was dumpstering world-class players on aggro decks and by the way beat michael fang on old him the old him that player lost to had five extra earth cards that the other old him players weren't playing because most old him lists now are slightly more aggressive and they play pretty much all ice cards like this azalea deck was very legitimate well thought out and the player had clear game plans on how to win those matchups i think it's i think it's a if you expected Fi to be dramatically the most played deck i think it'd be a great pick to be honest um but I do have to talk about Dorinthia as well because Brian's right. These Dorinthia players n- have a game plan into Ultim. I, again, I mean, I'm talking about my, Michael Fanks and they hate me. I'm going to be talking about all his losses, but I watched him lose to a Dorinthia in top eight in Dallas. And I was like, what the heck? How did you possibly lose that, right? He's got staunch responses in his deck. Like, he's good for this. Uh, maybe he has less earth cards than he should, but the, it's because these Dorinthias run like nine shunts, and apparently, like that's that lets them outvalue uh, this sort of old him deck over the long game. I think that if if Dorinthia even has like a chance against old him, 
it's a great pick. It's very good into Jermai. It's pretty good into these aggro decks. Like it might struggle a bit into Briar if Briar high rolls, but everybody struggles into Briar if Briar high rolls. The five decks get wrecked by it. Like the five decks really can't block well uh, against Dorinthia. So they have to get extremely lucky, I think. And yeah, I think that Dorinthia is a very, a very good deck to potentially bring. Uh, it would be quite, you know, you would surprise a lot of your opponents because Dorinthia punishes players who don't have, it's not that the players don't know what you're trying to do. They just don't have a million reps into you. Like if you don't know exactly how Dorinthia punishes you at every point in the game, you're going to get blown out eventually and the game ends after that because it, it, it snowballs with these counters on Dawnblade. So I'm looking at Dorinthia. I'm looking at Azalea. I also have to mention, I think that Briar is criminally underrated. Criminally. It doesn't make any sense, right? The Briar from PT2 still exists. It's still there. The only thing that happened is Oldham lost Pulse. It's good for you. Everybody was like, oh, people don't play Briar because Oldham plays Hypothermia. Go look at the Oldham list. There's no Hypothermias in there, right? That Briar list is the same Briar that won PT number two, if not more powerful because the deck has been more refined. And if you don't believe me on that, Look at Brody Spurlock has been just dominating Battlehorns one after another playing this deck. Uh, it's real. And people, for some reason, decide to play Fi or play Iceland or play Oldham over it. I, I would not be surprised to see more Briar at World Championships because I think that, you know, real like professional groups of players and testing teams, whatever you want to call them, I think that they aren't sort of ignorant of that fact right they understand that deck still exists they remember pt number two they were there which was just like a briar winter like i i think that it's a very good pick for class constructed in the there's a, a region too where i think that's actually doubled down on poland in particular is very cognizant of the power of briar it would not shock me for that contingent to show up with large numbers of briar and those players are absolute killers so i i think you're spot on but yeah, we're we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Poland uh, very shortly, don't you? <laughs> don't worry about that. I do. You know, one of my favorite things about meta games is that not only are they super interesting and in healthy formats, they're dynamic and, and shifting, but narratives drive meta games. And you just mm-hmm. talked about Poland as you know a region. You could talk about Europe. You could talk about wherever it is in the world where you've got groups of players together. They're gonna come up with narratives about what's happening based on what they're finding with their testing data, what they're seeing from events like the Battle Harden happening in Denver right now, and they're gonna say okay, this is the reality of the meta. You know, in our experience, X beats Y majority of the time on these sort of lists that we expect people to bring. You just talked about hypothermia. Do we expect people to bring hypothermia? No. Okay, well, all of a sudden, our, we think our Briar matchup it gets X percent better in our eyes and becomes more of a viable option than maybe another aggro deck we're looking at. It's all about what... not Metagaming isn't just what happened in the last event and going, oh, I'll pick a deck for that. It's going, what are people going to do? What are people... How are people going to react to this? How are people going to respond and you're going to see the best of the best this weekend in action doing very just that very thing. I think we saw in the, the first few events, you know, uh, callings, PT1 even, even into PT2, people slower to react into this metagame. And that has accelerated. Metagaming has, I think, as a concept in Flesh and Blood, people have just gotten so good at it. They understand why cards are in decks, why cards aren't in decks, and how to target that a lot more. Uh, we've seen that in, in recent events. And um, I think things like Talashar have, have helped speed, speed that up with, with information that people have. And uh, we're going to see it this weekend at the World Championships for sure. It's going to be in action. Let's um, talk about Blitz briefly to sort of round out this metagame. Is there, I want to ask the same question to both of you again. Is there a clear best deck in Blitz? Brendan, I think I'll start with you because I think you have a, a, an answer to this. You have for a while, apparently. Yeah, so I think it's Icelander. Um, but I want to talk about this really, what I think is fantastically interesting about the current Blitz format. So Blitz is a format where I think you, like you eat, 
The best thing you can do in Blitz is have a deck that wins on turn zero or turn one. So examples of this would be like Combo Viscerai, uh, potentially Kano in some formats, and like just like very uninteractive decks that just wreck your opponent if they're consistent enough. I'm not talking about Reinar. I'm not talking about Reinar. But if that doesn't exist, I think the most unfair thing you can do in Blitz is to just be quantitatively greater than your opponent on the amount of value you can get per turn cycle. And I think that Icelander does that the most consistently and the best. And the reason that it's the best is not only because the cards that are afforded to Icelander, which are quite good, um, like Aether Icefane, but also because it takes it plays both sides of the turn cycle at one point in the game, usually at the end of the game. It's just a huge cheat code when it comes to sort of getting value and math in Flesh and Blood. And it's it's really interesting because I would before before this Blitz format, I would have never thought that playing some dinky Icelander deck with Snapdragon Scalers and Fiendal's Fighting Spirit and like some spells would be a good idea, right? Because it sounds very fair. But when my card comes in for eight and yours comes in for six or seven, and I do that three turns in a row, I get plus one or plus two value on you in a turn cycle. It feels like those games feel like you are drowning on the other side. You're like, what the hell? Like your your life totals just get evaporated. You do not do nearly as much damage. So I think because of that, Icelander is the best deck. At the same time, I don't think that that is the sort of the final answer, right? Icelander can absolutely lose to Chain. It can theoretically lose to Ultim. I think that Ultim is a kind of a buy for Icelander, but it can also lose to other decks. Like it could lose to a Kasai on a bad day. Um, you know, it could lose the Icelander Mirror, et cetera, et cetera. Dorinthia is going to be running around in Blitz too. So I think the Icelander is the best deck, but I don't think that that, like, I would not just immediately lock Icelander for, by any means. Yeah. Brian, uh, you can see just there, you, you take his Storm Shredders away and he does everything in his power to still play an extra turn cycle. He really wants. He, Brendan really wants the final word, yeah. So on a turn side. Can you can you imagine if that deck had Storm Striders? Like it would be this right combo. Yes, a hundred percent. And th- look, it, we may as well talk a little Storm Striders while I'm here. We can we can chat about it. Uh, certainly, Icelander having Storm Striders was problematic. There's there's no card you could take away from Icelander short of Storm Striders to have as large of an impact as Storm Striders. It's, it's just not possible. And does Kano bear the brunt of that sort of to an unfair extent? Maybe, but Kano was also a very, very good deck. Very, very good deck. And now I think Kano is a meh deck. It's okay to be a meh deck and Blitz. You know, Kano will have his time again. There'll be other things that happen. Kano will come to the forefront. And certainly Kano has already had his time in Blitz being one of the best decks. And I I think just given the state of Icelander, Storm Striders 100% had to go from the format. And I, I think when we knew that Blitz was going to be a world championship format, we sort of made a promise. It was an implied promise, basically, in one of our banned and suspended announcements where we were saying, look, we want to shake things up in this format. We are working towards a format that is not this explosive, that lo- allows you some time to play, to actually play expressive games of Flesh and Blood, to do things like get value over multiple turns, which I think is one of the funnest ways to play Flesh and Blood. And I think there was no way Storm Striders could exist in this world and that be the primary goal. And I think the format is just so much better for it, so much more compelling. And I, I agree with your assessment to some extent, Brendan, that Icelander is the best deck. Here's the thing, though. The the principles you're talking about are only being applied to Icelander for the most part at this point. 
So what happens when other decks take this lens and they start thinking about, well, how do I break this paradigm? How do I get ahead on curve? Because you couldn't do that for the longest time. The only thing every other deck could do was kill you on turn zero. Otherwise, you were just done for. There, You weren't playing a game of flesh and blood. But when things slow down a little bit, things get opened up, you have to go back to the drawing board and think, how is this value present in my archetype? And look at the cards you're naming, like things like Wounded Bull and Fandel's Fighting Spirit. Those are generics. Anyone can play those cards. It's just like, how do you get that little bit of extra value? Icelander does it by cheating on the turn cycles. I think some other heroes can find ways to get that little bit of extra value as well. I got one. Yeah, thing. I'll tell I'll tell you that the well, I'll just quickly say that the the test once this idea, like this this sort of theory of blitz, it's like you just want to be quantitatively over the opponent over like you know three to four turn cycles. We got some freaking brews floating around. Like it got bad. Like there were some heroes that I would have. I mean, I hesitate to even say their name because they're so <laughs> they, they they're so unplayable or you know they've seen so little play and this. Like there was so many bad decks uh, getting thrown getting thrown around that testing group that were just like okay numbers right how do we cheat action points how do we do this how do we do that it's just like okay we just throw in the sink blows we throw in the fate for scenes and we throw in these like three for eights and all this stuff like it gets wild like it, it's crazy because I think that value in flesh and blood has always been like the math matrix of flesh and blood has been at the core the whole time right the players that succeeded in the early days like Hayden will talk about this as well because you want a calling with it they looked at cards and evaluated them based on their numbers right and as flesh and blood sort of progressed through time people got away from that until Michael Hamilton yanked everyone back and started winning callings back to back and it's like it's some it's not the end all be all right. You can't just look at the numbers. There are synergistic decks, there are combo decks and there are decks that you can't just throw a bunch of generics in. But like it's it may like it is a very core concept of flesh and blood and it's very powerful and if you utilize it correctly, you will just dominate people who are not uh looking at the game this way. My I was just going to point out swing big to be honest. Just got to, you know, 2 for 8. Don't worry about 3 for 8. You got 2 for 8. It's a big, big number. Big number, it's big, big number. number. I, I wanted to mention. I wanted to mention Valda, like twenty-one life. Let's go. That's a, that's a big number, right? I want. I want twenty-three life. Give me twenty-three okay. life. And we can do. <laughs> Maybe. Let's. Uh, we we talked a little bit about uh, draft already, and and kind of you know shifting of of what players have learned. And Brian, you really dived into that with you know the sort of refinement of what players have learned in the most drafted format we've probably seen in uh, in organized play for Flesh and Blood so far. So we'll, we'll kind of move past that. I would just, last question for you, Brian, on kind of, I guess, Blitz itself is what other decks are you looking at? You know, I know Brendan talked about Icelander, he talked about Dorinthia, you know, some of these other chain. What what decks are you looking at this weekend and expecting to see pop up? Dash. I, I think Dash is another deck that really breaks the paradigm. But what's sneaky about Dash is it does it in two ways. And we have we have seen this in other formats where you just play Control Dash. Look, you could you can port Control Dash over to Blitz as well. And I there's something there that tells me that maybe this could work. Like, I don't think people are set up for it. And I know your life total is so much lower, but deck size is lower and you can consistently find your pieces a little bit better. So I, I think there are multiple dash builds you could use to really get an edge, but just like typical pounder dash, completely fine. And it does a very good job of breaking serve, putting up high numbers. Uh, chain obviously needs to be respected. I, I think as long as that hero exists in any format, you just have to, Respect that raw output. Also, the mastery that players can have over that archetype, being able to play into multiple matchups. The better you know chain, better off you are. And, you know, practicing chain at your local store versus practicing chain against the best in the world, it's, it's not the same thing. You're you're looking for a very different experience. So I, 
honestly think the format is completely open. And if something just came out of complete left field and surprised me, I wouldn't be shocked. People are going to play Prism too. Um, so Prism is sort of a hate deck uh, in the sense that it has a good ultimate matchup and it has a good Icelander matchup. It has not. A, it has a worse Bolander matchup, like an attack action Icelander, but it's very good into Icelander and into ultimate fundamentally because of the auras. It's just like, it kind of sucks in the chain. So if you have a Prism that is reasonable chain and keeps sort of keeps the fidelity on those other two matchups, the reason why you're bringing the deck, great pick. At the same time, you can also bring Icelander, be like, I'm going to dumpster all the Icelander. Sorry, you bring Prism, I'm going to dumpster all the Icelanders and the old hymns, and we'll just hope that Gem doesn't pair me against any chains. That's a legitimate pit. Like, that's a great strategy, Medical. potentially. Yep. Yeah. Make a medical. Um, all right. I want to talk about some players to watch for this weekend. Of course, you're both going to be in the booth. You're going to be covering a, a lot of players, a lot of matches. Uh, there's, of course, team dynamics as well that you've both already mentioned a little bit and uh, and regionality. So I want to talk a little bit about about that and just give kind of our Arsenal Pass viewers and listeners some people to watch out for this weekend or players you specifically need to watch out for, myself as well. And we'll just kind of talk by by region. We'll just kind of go through some names and keep it pretty top level. But Oceania and Asia, uh, Brendan, any any names that kind of sticking out to you for this weekend? Oh, you know, not that you're in that region, but... It's just funny that I'm looking at these notes and I see you didn't put your own name on there. So, you know, I'll throw you you a bone. I'll throw you a bone. Hayden Dale, you know, uh, national champion. Uh, Some people say he's a bit washed up, but, you know, he's pretty good. Um, I think that, I think that, I think that Hayden has a very legitimate chance to win the entire tournament. I think he has the correct mental game. He's put in a lot of preparation um, and you know, probably has a good deck because he's working with the likes of Sasha Markovic, Dante Delfico, Mike, um, et cetera, et cetera, that crew. Uh, on top of that, you can't not mention Matt Rogers. Um, Matt Rogers, just an absolute terror in New Zealand, has been performing even like even consistently into these days. You know, He had a very successful early career. Um, I know he's very busy with the card grading company, which has been massively successful, by the way, but recently has put up a bunch of results i think he's it's like a big name to look out for nick butcher out of out of australia um your your mate from i don't know i think he plays at your locals as well so and you talk you you talk him up so i played nick a couple times like way back in the day um like way back in 2019 but um i think you you get to play against him quite often you say he's one of the best players best players in the world and if you say that i will definitely take your word on that because the only other time you said that to me was after you lost to michael hamilton and i didn't believe you um and then the last one for me is uh of course sasha markovic i'm a little bit of a i'm a little bit of a sasha markovic fanboy um but he brings really cool decks he's a fantastic player and i don't know he just understands the game at sort of a very uh like a very quantitative level he's similar to michael hamilton in the way he evaluates sort of the game turn by turn is able to dynamically switch his macro game plans and just picks opponents apart Hmm. brian any names on your mind that you're looking out for this weekend from from down south i will say i always feel somewhat bad for this region because the amount of talent that LSS has rated from this region is, is almost unfair. It's true. Uh, if you if you were to let loose some of these uh, fine devs we have at LSS onto the field, I think they would put up very, very impressive performances. But as it stands, I, I actually think Matt Rogers is under-respected in the game, which is weird because he's sort of like one of the headline figures. And I, I would say like probably a member of that big three when you're talking like Pablo Pintor, Michael Hamilton. And then I think... Matt Rogers is probably number three in a lot of people's lists, and he has just as much claim to number one as anyone else, even in like sort of the newer era. Granted, he made his his big claim to fame during the earlier days of Flesh and Blood, but he has continued to perform throughout 
the game's history. And I, I think it would mean so much for him to win this big world championship and sort of, you know, put the doubts to rest and reclaim that number one spot again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Brendan, I just want to say as well, that's probably before the nicest thing you've ever said to me, by the way. So uh, thank you for that. Oh, that's definitely not true. I say nice things to you all the time. Like I just <sighs> swallow that little ego and I'm like, I appreciate you. All this BS. So we can keep this podcast going. I do it for all the listeners. Uh, I could. Uh, I want to add one more name to the list from from this region that that I live in, and that's uh, someone that you might not have seen. I don't even know if they were featured in Lil, but that's uh, Chu Hing Eng, who I believe top sixteen lost their winning into top eight in Pro Tour Lil. Uh, they were, I think, also lost their top eight to Calling uh, top eight in Singapore as well the weekend before. Uh, a phenomenal player, actually. You spoke about Nick, Nick Butcher before. He he pointed to him and said, "Watch this guy play." And I, I watched um, watched them play, and they are a phenomenal player. I think they actually. They played against Sasha in the Swiss rounds as well in Lille, uh, playing Prism. Just a very ma- a master of Prism. So I'm interested to see what era they bring this time around, obviously with Prism reaching Living Legend, but uh, a player to watch out for. They've almost almost had their break and, and one of the best I've probably seen from a distance play. Go to our North American friends, uh, USA, Canada. Brian, names on, on your mind to look out for this weekend? Yeah, you know, the same names as everyone else was watching out for. Tarek Patel, of course, now national champion of two different nations. You can't sleep on him for one second. Michael Hamilton, again, right in that discussion, best players in the world. I think that's who everyone's going to be watching. But I also think this region is continuing to accelerate how good it is. It's just caught up so quickly to the rest of the world. Uh, You know, game catching on a little bit later here. And I think... As it spreads, as it catches on like wildfire, it wouldn't shock me to see completely new names start to claim their place in the flesh and blood pantheon. I also want to mention Cody Williams. I think Cody Williams is another person who gets mm-hmm. slept on. Just incredibly consistent results, always, always, always in the mix, and just hasn't quite broken through. Usually, in my experience with card games, when someone's doing something like that, it's just a matter of time. And then the next year, they're being talked about as the best player in the world. So it could very well be Cody's moment uh, at at Worlds. Maybe he'll be our Seth Manfield. Could be. Could be. Could be. Could be. Uh, Brendan, I'll add a few into the mix and that you jump on the back of that, but I think Brody Spurlock, what we've seen with Battle Hardens over recent weeks and, uh, you know, such such a young individual and he's just now tearing up being able to go to all these events and, um, you know, I expect to see him make a splash this weekend. Someone that I think we haven't seen much of, uh, but I know you had some time with him a couple of weeks ago, Brendan, is uh, Peter Budniski, who won the Battle Harden in Dallas. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I think another name to watch out for. And, uh, I, you know, I got absolutely massacred in the Goliath Gauntlet by this person, so I can't not <laughs> shout out Isaac Crute because uh, he is a bit of a machine, to be honest. And he just, again, one of those ones that's consistent but just hasn't, you know, just hasn't quite had the breakthrough. I think won every round of the calling except for the final uh, at the U.S. Nationals weekend, uh, but is, uh, is a name to watch out for. Yeah, definitely. Um so, I mean, I'll kind of echo you there and call out my Goliath Gauntlet opponent, which is Caleb, or better known as Majin Bay. I think that if, if Caleb has time to practice, he's absolutely allowed to win the entire tournament. He's just a fantastic card game player. Um, I think that he's put up some pretty incredible results, honestly, uh, with playing the game very little. Um, he is a full-time streamer of Legends of Ruterra, from what I understand, so... I think as soon as he turns he turns on like his attention to flesh and blood, uh, like he's live to be winning like all of these major tournaments. He's a very very good player. Uh, on top of that, in terms of Dallas, like I mean, it's no secret that I think Michael Hamilton is the best player in the world, and I don't think it's particularly close. I think the only person that actually gets close is uh, Pablo Pintor, who I'm sure we'll talk about when we head over to Europe. 
Um, but Michael Hamilton is like, <laughs> I, it's, I just expect him to top eight. I just expect him to top eight. And if he top eights, I really expect him to win. Cause like, like we've told the story many times when Hayden lost to Michael Hamilton in Orlando, but that is what it feels like. It feels like you're getting outplayed. He is so good at the game. I think people are getting closer. I think the skill gap is closing uh, because of some of the resources that have cropped up, allowing players to get a lot of reps and Michael actually giving out his knowledge, right? Talking about how he builds decks, how he looks at the game. Um, like that's honestly what re-sparked sort of the way I look at flesh and blood. And I've really drilled down to value and I feel like I've become a much better player in the past few months because of it. Uh, Brody Spurlock is a, is a local player to me. I do think he's fantastic. He's also playing Briar, right? He's playing that, that underappreciated deck. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and call Michael, Michael Fang. He is testing with Michael Hamilton. Which is kind of a ridiculous test. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's that's dangerous. Uh, yeah. So I think I mean honestly, like all the like those New York, the some of those guys in New York. I think Cody's up there, um, but or at least he's he's probably close. If that, Michael Fang and Yuanji, like Yuanji won a what a calling. He's put up many results, and Michael Fang obviously his results sort of speak for themselves. I think that the players up there are extremely good, and if you put Michael Hamilton and Michael Fang in a room, I think one of them is live to uh, <laughs> to definitely win the tournament. Yeah, either they're going to get so much done or they're going to get stuck on the value of a card for about two days and they might not, I don't know, you just, I'd be a fly on the wall, right? Um, yes, they, they pioneered, that's what's funny is because it's like, it, it's just a funny narrative because uh, Michael Hamilton, obviously he seems to be pioneering this value, this like value orientated flesh and blood, um, mostly in constructed with Bolander and his previous ultimate list. But then if you listen to like the first Attack for 20 podcast, which was Michael Fang's podcast, him and Yuanji were sort of pioneering the quantitative way of looking at drafts, right? You know, how many Icelanders can there be? How many of this deck? How many of that deck? What's the what's the exact breakdown? And like, now you just put them both together, and they're just this little quant machine. Yeah, we'll see what comes out of it. Uh, why don't we go to Europe? And uh, I'll start at the top of the list with just all of Poland. I think uh, just watch out for just the whole country. To be honest, <laughs> kind of ridiculous. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. If you, you two have seen it, but uh, flesh and blood put up the the Poland video, so Team Poland, uh, that they put together themselves. Those guys, the community over there is phenomenal, and I think it's the, the reason that they've had such success in the game, which people might not realize just how much success. People know they've had some success, but the success that Poland have had on the global stage already has been crazy. Calling winners, calling finalists, Pro Tour finalists, you know, like it's Pro Tour top eighters. It's uh, it's it's nuts. So I've got to, got to shout out all of Poland, and if you haven't gone and watched that video, go and do it. It's up on the uh, Fab TCG youtube page the lss youtube page but the the three names kind of on my mind for uh poland in particular uh bartos zimba who we saw in the pro tour lille final uh masai yannick also bartos is the national champion current national champion poland so he is in theory the you know the, the crowning jewel <laughs> of poland right now uh masai yannick who top aided in uh, pt1 and uh lucas and i'm gonna try and attempt his name his last name uh Sispanowski, i think is how you say his last name uh, i played i believe we played actually in pro tour new, new jersey and he top aided and might have even been the finalist in uh, the calling in lille so just a very phenomenal player but they, they have some crazy crazy stats coming out of there brendan any any names in europe on your mind i was gonna go for the easy one uh pablo pintor you can't win a, you can't win a pro tour a top eight pro tour without being in contention for the best player in the world i Unfortunately, haven't had the pleasure to play against Pablo, um, so I don't know sort of his play intimately, which I really wish I did because it would give me much better perspective on sort of um, him as a player. But results speak for themselves. Pablo Pintor, um, he's just he's 
I think a lot of people actually expect him to win. Um, and I would not be surprised. And yeah, I think you, you have to mention Matthew Fox won PT number two, right? Back to back to be pretty incredible, but Matthew's put up a bunch of results as well. Won the UK national championship pro tour number two, uh, as well as, you know, many other smaller tournaments, whether they be road to nationals pro quests or, I'm not sure how many battle hardens have had in Europe, but surely he's taking some of those down. I think that Christian Hawk is actually not playing. I think he's opted out of Worlds this year. I could be wrong. He could have opted out of a calling, but I think that he was opting out of Worlds. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ian Zhang is a player out of Amsterdam who <laughs> I don't think he's had the the sort of glorious results, right? But PT2 top eight, and then also PT1 top 16, which is nothing to sneeze at. Top eight, top 16 in a pro tour is a big deal. So that, that is very, con- those are very consistent results. And I think that, you know, if you're able to do that back to back, you're an incredible player. Yeah, the difference between a, a PT top eight and a PT 16 can be, uh, you know, half a turn cycle. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> Brian, any uh, any other players you want to shout out from Europe that you've become familiar with over your time casting uh, PT1 and, and other events? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of echoing a lot of what already has been said. But obviously, I think watching Pablo Pintor and seeing what he could do uh, for now the third premier event in, the, in a row, I think that's going to be a huge part of the narrative this week put magic together again and go ahead on another run and really cement his legacy uh i I think matt folks deserves again more respect than he's getting not only because he obviously did win pt2 but he plays a lot of blitz as well and i think is very comfortable in the blitz format has good results in blitz callings and is is sort of more open than i see a lot of people be about blitz like i i think he's a pretty big kasai fan i i don't know if that's like Okay, I thought it was me. <laughs> no, no, that's Brian. That's all right. I saw you just standing there. And I was like, oh, how'd that happen to me? Come back. So there was internet flicker a little bit before, and I was like, Ooh. Good pose, though. <laughs> Wait, you should screenshot that for a thumbnail. Oh, how do I do it? How do I screenshot? Wait, I don't know. It depends what kind of computer. No, I missed the screenshot. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn, he's back. Uh, so we're going to get a screenshot for a thumbnail. <laughs> uh, did I drop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah it's all good. It's all good. Um, a well thought out endorsement of Matthew Fox. <laughs> do you want to run it again? Yeah, yeah just restart really, yeah. For, from Matt. I yeah. think that's a good spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so one of the people I also think, again, not getting enough respect is Matt Fox. I think having won a PT... But not only winning a PT, doing it in a very unique, off-the-beaten-path kind of way, I think Matt is very comfortable in the Blitz format as well. And has also been posting that he's won something like 58 matches in a row. So if that is legitimate, then I think there is a very good chance he... (laughs) Not the... (laughs) He's just destined. He can't can't talk about Matt. (laughs) That's an even better get, one. D- get DDoSed every time you talk about that. <laughs> uh, That's a good one. Let me see if I can snag it. I've already got it. <laughs> oh, okay, great, great, great. All right, y'all let me know. <laughs> uh, you're uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're back. Yeah. Every time you say Matt's name, you get DDoSed. Huh? <laughs> All right, maybe I'm just not going to talk about him. Maybe that's the safest play here. That's right. What the hell's going on? 
We can, we can, uh, I'll try and naturally transition the first part or something if we can and maybe use some of it. Uh, we'll just, okay. we'll just, we'll move through. We're, we're basically at the end. We're just going to quick fire some predictions and, and move on. So, um, yep. let's do it. All right. I mean, that's basically almost going to do it for this World Championship preview show, uh, with Brian Gottlieb and Brendan Patrick, of course. But I want to get some quick fire round the table predictions for the event. So, uh, give these to me, you know, go through all of them one by one. Uh, what decks, perform best in class constructor what deck do you think we're going to see like 6-0 records because you know obviously it's not top eight because there's there's three different events but 6-0 deck uh decks will see perform well in blitz so the most 6-0s and uh who you expect to see in the top eight on sunday give us one or two names and then of course who's winning the event brendan i'll, I'll start with of, you cc blitz there's a lot of questions so I'll, I'll, an- I'll answer them because i can see the notes i don't know if you can bribe but I'll, re- I'll happily read them back to you so he's got a good let's memory. go bet uh, what decks perform the best in CC? So I think like there's definitely going to be some fives that sneak through at the six zero. Um, like, but at the same time, like I really think that <laughs> I think that Briar is going to perform the best versus how many Briars actually show up. I genuinely believe that. Um, at the if if we're talking like purely based off conversion, like the Dorinthias and the Azaleas, uh, I, <laughs> probably Azalea because the few players that bring it might have incredible tournaments. Um, Performing in Blitz, I think it's going to be a lot of Icelander. I think that Icelander being the best deck is not a secret. I think a lot of players have had time to dig into that deck, play against it. And if you are playing Icelander the tournament, you're going to be targeted. But I think that deck is quite resilient to being targeted. It's like, what axes do you target it on, right? It's techy as both attack action as defense reactions. And it has the ability to play at instant speed. So just a very solid deck, I think, at this point. Prism, you can play Prism into it, but it actually has quite a bit of game in Prism. Um... What do I expect? Who do I actually see in the top eight on Sunday? Okay, I got to pick two players. Pick Michael Hamilton, Pablo Pintor. Easy one right there. Um, give me two players. When I who's winning? Uh, who's winning? I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Sasha Markovic. It you it might be a bit biased, right? But um, I believe this is. You know, Sasha Markovic, I don't know how much more competitive flesh and blood he will play. I think that he works extremely hard. Um, I'll be honest, he's one of my best friends and I would love to see him win the tournament. You know, he was a former LSS employee before that one, you know, had a lot of success in flesh and blood. And I think that this could really, it would mean a lot, I think, to him to sort of culminate his career and his effort and his work in the game. So I'm going to back, I'm going to back Sasha, even though if we look at raw data, um, it's probably safer to back someone like Michael Hamilton. Sasha Mark is going to be my pick. All right, Brian. Uh, since uh, Brendan went quick fire and went through a few different CC archetypes, you can choose what you want. 6-0 record, best conversion rate, you can choose. Same in Blitz. Two players for top eight and who's you win? Most 6-0s will be Icelander. Best conversion rate. I like Jeremiah's chances. I think Jeremiah is uniquely positioned. I think the people who choose to bring that deck will know it very, very well. Uh, when we get to Blitz, again, I think Icelander is going to pace the field. I expect the most High finishes out of Icelander. Conversion rate. I so just hard. have this sense. I have this sense that like Kasai is going to finally justify the people who choose to play her. And like, I know all the reasons Kasai isn't good, but like, it's just fine at everything. And those are the decks where you put them in the hands of really good players can occasionally surprise you. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to pick a good conversion rate for Kasai. I don't think it'll be very well represented, but I think the people who choose to play it will do well. Uh, as far as who we're going to see in the top eight, you know, it's easy to pick the usual suspects. I, I think you could say Michael Habl- Hamilton, Pablo Pintor, Sasha Markovic, all fine choices. I'm going to go with a dark horse 
I'm going to go with Hayden Dale as one of the top oh, eight participants. Very dark horse. That's yeah, bold. I'll take. I'll take the. I'll take. Horse. I'll take the under. I'll take the under on that one. Uh, and, and my pick actually to win the tournament. You know, at at LSS, we're also just big fans of the game, so we do internal basically like a fantasy type setup where we're always <laughs> trying to figure out who's going to be winning. And my pick in that pool was Masayonic. So I I'm going to stick with that, and that is my player to watch. And you know, like you mentioned, Masai. Coming out of that really tough Polish reason, great performances in Polish nationals, PT1, really strong finish. And I I know he's got a huge affinity for Briar, and I could see him having put in the reps and people not respecting that deck enough, enough for Masai to go ahead and win the top eight. Yep. I mean, um, if I run down mine, I think that's great. Great call, by the way. Both of them, of course. Uh, <laughs> I think CC, I think uh, we're going to see Oldham have the most 6 O's, I think. Uh, I think Briar's going to have the best conversion. I kind of agree with you, Brendan. Uh, I think Chain's going to have the best conversion in Blitz, and I think we're going to probably see the most 6-0s out of Icelander. I think that's probably the, the safest bet, and I'll, I'll take the safe bet on this one. But players, I'm going to... You know what? You stole mine. I had uh, Messiah on there as well. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with uh, Bartos, I think. I think we're going to see two Polish players in there uh, in that top eight. And uh, to win, I'm going to go with Isaac Crute. I think Isaac Crute's going to finally make his breakthrough. Mm, that's a good one. Go. That's a good one. Yeah, that guy, he's always, he's, he's the Where's Waldo of top eight pictures. I swear to God. Um, I think that to anybody listening to this podcast right now and just have the answer to those questions, that should make you excited because I disagree with both Hayden and Brian on Classic Constructed and Blitz. I actually think that Oldham is the worst deck to bring right now. Um, and, you know, I don't know too much about your minds, but. Nevertheless, before we get into the detail, like the meta is absolutely not solved. You can bring anything, and I think we're gonna see some we're gonna see some new tech we haven't seen in Battle Hardens. There's definitely some some incubators that have been brewing some stuff up that they've decided not to spoil because the world championships a hundred thousand dollars, you know, hundred thousand dollars the first place. That's that's a reason to keep some some tech hidden. I mean, I just there I can't remember another meta in Flesh and Blood where we would disagree on every you know. All three of us, by the way, we're just screwing three ways. It's on both Classic Constructed and Blitz. Like, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. All right. Well, uh, before we head off, Brian, just want to thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate it. We're excited to see you in the booth this weekend alongside, you know, our, our own boy, Brendan Patrick. Uh, do you just want to give us a little bit of where we can find you out there on, on the, you know, the wide world of everything and uh, what you're doing, projects you're currently working on? Yeah, so you can check me out. I do most of my social media engagement over on Twitter at Brian Go, B-R-Y-A-N-G-O. Uh, we'll have my preview card there, which will already have been shown by the po by the time this uh, drops. I dropped some hints over on my Twitter account if you're looking to try and figure it out a little early. Um, and then I still have my podcast for a game I don't really enjoy all that much anymore, but... I did enjoy it quite a bit, and uh, I still have a lot of love in my heart for Magic the Gathering. I think it is a uh, pillar of the TCG world and a lot of respect for everything they do over there. Even if I'm not enjoying kind of the current state of the game, the current shape of it, I still enjoy getting together with my good buddy Jerry Thompson, talking about it every week. We do that over on the Arena Deckless podcast. Um, and then you also will be playing with some of the first flesh and blood cards i designed very very soon you will have them in your hands before you know it so i'm warming my way into your life whether you want me there or not basically yep 
you can he's going to be there. You're going to see his cards. You're going to see Brian's fingerprints all over those Dynasty and uh, future sets cards. Uh, if you want to find Brendan and myself, we're of course on Twitter at BrendanAPG at Fian underscore Dale. We're closing in on 5,000 subs on YouTube. We've got a bit of a giveaway post world with some cool sort of AP merch and stuff. If you want to get involved with that, uh, get us to 5,000 subs. We're almost there. So hit the like button and uh, subscribe. And Brian, I have to close it out by saying uh, see you next week and that's game.